Welcome to the Bike Life Podcast by Warm Showers Foundation, where we will be sharing knowledge, experience, tools, and stories of touring cyclists and hosts from around the world. I'm Tauber Lee, the woman behind the scenes at Warm Showers Foundation, the leading platform for cyclists looking for hosts and to connect with a passionate international community. Find out more by visiting us at warmshowers.org. Now, on to the show. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Bike Life. Today, we have an author, a cyclist, someone who has lived around the world and is known as Bicycle Joe. Hello, Joe. Thank you for joining the show. Thank you, Tavali. How are you? I'm well. So glad to have you here. Yes, glad to be here. Where are you currently located? I'm currently located in the Midi Pyrenees in the south of France. Ah, I love it. How long have you been there? Been in this uh, part of the world for 15 years. Yeah, wonderful. So you have such an interesting and fascinating story of how you started cycling, where you've been in the world, and how it's impacted your life. So let's start with, let's go way, way back. Like, let's go back. Let's go back to the, I know, like, let's go way back. Let's way back. Way back. Let's hear, let's hear about how you started cycling. Like, how did that, how did that begin in your life? Okay. Well, obviously, like every other kid, you know, the bicycle under the Christmas tree, but I really started to get into it uh, when my first job was delivering meat for the local butcher. Mm-hmm. So I was riding this truck bike all around the Bronx and it was, it was great. You know, it was, this is back in the seventies and um, I just rode everywhere. It was, it was really great. I, I just had this freedom and I was getting paid to ride my, to ride a bicycle. Like I said, I always had a bicycle and my friends and I used to tinker with our bicycles and there was this guy who used to live a couple blocks away who had this back garden full of bike parts. And then we used to start, you know, just putting different wheels and handlebars and experimenting just with, uh, you know, the English races, as we called them in New York when we grew up, you know, the, just the racing bikes. We used to call them the English racers. And that's what we all had. Um, and uh, by the time we were 16, 17, we started with the choppers, with the five speed shifters on the, you know, on the top two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I segued over into the, the English races and I never really went back. Mm-hmm. I just uh, started being known as Bicycle Joe. I got my driver's license at 16 and I wrecked the family car mm-hmm. at uh, <laughs> about 17 or 18. My brother was out of the house. It was just my mom and I because my dad died when I was 17. And, um, I just started riding my bike everywhere. Mm. And then how did that progress to wanting to like experience larger parts of the world by bike? How did it go from that to <laughs> what you do now? Okay. The, uh, quickly, I, I got into my riding and I was really loving it. I went to university and uh, my brother, luckily I had an older brother who always let me hang out with his friends. He's five years older than me. So I always had like good taste in music and I would hang out with the other older guys. And one of his friends took me on a motorcycle when I was about 17, it was yeah, after my dad died. Yeah. 17, 18. And that was it. I was like, Whoa, mm. that was cool. So I, I wound up when I uh, graduated high school and I was getting into college, I wanted a motorcycle and my mom was like, well, I can't stop you. You're 18. <laughs> You're 18. Mm-hmm. And I just got a motorcycle and I became, I was a motorcycle traveler and I got addicted. I, I, I just, 
wanted to travel. So throughout college, I had a motorcycle. And when I graduated college, I wanted to go across America. And that turned into first trip across America, second with a friend, second trip alone, third trip across Canada into Alaska in 1985. Mm. Um, and I wound up living on the the West coast, uh, because I had an accident in a dune buggy and broke my wrist. And anyway, to cut the long story short, I met some people and I was looking at a way to travel. And I didn't know I was a kid from the Bronx and I was like, I want to do this travel thing. But every time I would be on my motorcycle, I wound up back in New York. I tried to live in California, ran out of money. And I just kept on yo-yoing back to New York. And then when I met these people in Central America, when I was hitchhiking through Central America, after I had stayed on the West coast, I met long-term travelers and my uh-huh. eyes just went, whoa, what do you mean you've been on the road for three years working around the world? Someone told me about teaching English in Japan. Within a year, I saved my money up and uh, I went one last time across America on my motorcycle, this time with my girlfriend, and we moved to Japan. Wow. And I was ready. I was I, I was still a motorcyclist. I got on my friend's, back on my friend's motorcycle, 1987. I remember clearly we were heading up. I had all the money left in my pocket to buy a motorcycle. Uh, That was it. That was the way I traveled. That's the way I thought I was going to explore Japan. We stopped at a red light. I looked to my left, and there was this big, big mountain bike shop Mm. with mountain bikes in the window. I had never seen a mountain bike. I just had my English racers, and I just looked. I said, Bruno, what is this? He goes, that's the local bike shop. I said, pull over. I got to check it out. I walked in. I saw a straight handlebars fat tire. I was like, what is this? The owner spoke a bit of English. He said, mountain bikes, they just started coming in from America and, you know, and yeah, they, they knew it was crazy. And I was like, oh, I turned to Bruno and I said, Bruno, no more motorcycles. This is where my life is going. And mm-hmm. I literally plunked 800 bucks, 1987 <laughs> on my first mountain bike. And I never looked back. Wow, that is an absolutely fascinating story. And to go from a motorcycle <laughs> to a mountain bike is different and yet also still kind of the same. It, it was kind of the same. And it was funny because as I um, I remember my last journey it, it going across America, because I went up to Alaska and uh, I had no problems. But I was still on my street bike that I bought, you know, when I was 18 years old, my Yamaha 850 Special. And I only had one flat going across all of those trips across America, but that flat tire put me on the side of the road. I had to wait. And this is before mobile phones, hitchhike, you know, get, get into a, get a gas station, come out with a truck, but it was a real hassle. And I remember I was starting to love the travel and the mode of transportation. Yes. was a motorcycle, but I was, I was just craving autonomy. So that's why I hitchhiked and walked and did a lot of busing, you know, in Central America and Mexico where I met these travelers so I was really ripe and ready for a change. Mm-hmm. So when I saw it, when the bicycle came, I was like, I, I, I just had no idea. There was bicycle travelers. And I did meet a guy on the road to Alaska on the Alcan Highway from New York who had ridden his bicycle. We had a quick chat. And I was like, that guy's crazy. <laughs> I didn't realize I was seeing my future self. Mm-hmm. And because to me, it was like the motorcycle. And he must have been looking at me. Because he was like in his shorts, sweating, going up a hill. I was freezing on my road, you know, my kind of street bike from New York and my leather I bought down on Orchard Street. (laughs) That wasn't that great. And I was like freezing for like two, three weeks, crossing all these Kalawani ranges into, you know, into Alaska. Just just slightly uncomfortable. And um, 
but loving it still. But when I when when I saw the mountain bike, it just it just the penny just dropped, and I was like, mm. ah, wow, autonomy, cool, fat tires, like a motorcycle, but not no petrol stations, all those things. Mm. It went, doo, 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 doo. and I just uh, just knew it. I just instinctively knew that would be the way I was going to travel, and and I got into with a group of people in Japan who had traveled around the world on their bicycles. And I was just sucked into this whole new world of young travelers my age who had been in Pakistan, China, Tibet. And I was like, I was just gone. I was like, oh. <laughs> so I thought I was my the trip was going to be go to Japan, work and come back. And I was going to be gone for a year. I didn't make it home for three and a half years on that journey. Wow. Wow. And did you start touring outside of Japan at that time? Or did you primarily tour around in Japan? Well, brought the bike, stayed in Japan. My girlfriend, when I came home, when she thought I was going to be coming back with a motorcycle and said, did you get a motorcycle? I was like, no. She goes, what'd you get? I said, bicycle. <laughs> she goes, well, well, she said, well, that's good. Um, did, and how much did you spend? I said, well, all of the money I had for, <laughs> for the motorcycle. I said, but you can get one too. <laughs> and so, so we started exploring Japan and uh, the, our time in Japan was tumultuous. Yeah, we broke up and we got together. But when we left, uh, we left separately and she had become a, a cyclist as well. She took off for New Zealand. I took off for Australia. The guy I used to teach English at the bike shop where I learned a lot of mechanics and he sent my bicycle for me to Australia. So my uh, girl, my then girlfriend and I, we traveled a little bit through Southeast Asia. She went off to uh, New Zealand. I went to Australia and I started touring there on my bicycle. Wow. And did you make it back to the U.S.? Yeah. So my my first tour from Australia, I, I lived, I, I met some people. I was open to the road. So I started, you know, did a big, long trip through um Australia, down down across into Tasmania, flew into New Zealand, where my girlfriend still was, ex-girlfriend, I should say, at the time. But then we got together and we wound up pedaling together for three months in the South Island of New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And then I went to the North Island and I came back to Australia. But I was kind of running out of money, met some people in Melbourne, stayed there for six months working. Uh, life was way easier back then. You know, you could find work mm -hmm. and, and open a bank account. And, you know, and um, and I did I did that. And after those six months, I met up with a friend I used to work with in Japan and we kept in touch by letters. This is all pre-internet, pre-mobile yeah, right. phone. This right. is letters and, and and not even phone calls because they were too expensive. It was like letters. You know? Right. And it was like, hey, Rob, you're wow, you're in Canada. I'm, I'm going to go to Indonesia. And he was like, well, you know what? I'm looking for a bike trip. Let's go. So we met in Bali, Indonesia, and we started cycling through eastern islands of Indonesia to you know, ferry boats and you know, we were hopping cargo boats. And I, I was, yeah, really dove in deeply to the touring side uh, in Indonesia, Malaysia. From there, we got locked out of a few countries because of coups and stuff like that. Wound up in um, Thailand and then into Nepal, into India. And I, I was well and truly hooked. But by this time, I was in India. I was starting to lose it a bit because I'd been away from home over three years, I was starting to wonder who I was in comparison to who I used to be. And mm. was I going to fit in in New York? I was this crazy, mad cyclist, long hair and a beard traveling the world. And um, so I, I sent my bicycle home from uh, from India and I took a flight uh, into Europe to kind of like, you know, almost like decompress after all this time in mm -hmm. Asia and just living in Australia. And um, 
<laughs> the story could get longer, but I won't let it. But actually, on the way, my plane stopped in Moscow. And since mm-hmm. I had no bicycle and only a backpack, I hopped off the plane in Moscow kind of illegally and <laughs> stayed in Moscow for a whole week with no invitation, met a guy on the street. And he was like, oh, what are you doing? I was like, well, I changed my flight, but I don't really have a visa or a hotel. And he was like, what? You're a bad boy. I was like, well, I didn't, mean, I, I didn't really mean to be. <laughs> so I, sta- I stayed with him for a week. The next day we went to some crazy office and they gave me this signed piece of paper with a stamp on it that said I like a travel visa. So I stayed in Moscow kind of sort of illegally for a whole week in 1990. So we still wow. so when wow. I tell people when I tell people about that, they're like, that's insane. And I was just we I was just so hardened by them. Not hardened, I should say, but not worried because it, when we traveled, my friend Rob and I, he had done a lot of cycling before and I had done my, my little bits in Australia and New Zealand, but never like in Asia. And we uh, we got cut, we got kicked out of Vietnam because again, 1990, mm-hmm. Vietnam is an American. He was Canadian, which was okay, but the American still didn't recognize Vietnam at the time. So we just kind of made it up and started cycling north. Met these two girls who were bored of you know being stuck in in Saigon, uh, Ho Chi Minh, and so we got bicycles built for them, and we all started cycling north until we got caught, and we all got deported. Uh, back to Thailand, and then we wound up flying into Nepal, and so we never saw the girls again. And so Rob and I wound up going into Nepal, and we cycled to a closed border with India, and we were stuck in nomads land between Nepal and India. And the, the border guards were fighting with each other. And there was these two hippies on the you know, two long-haired guys with their beards, whistling, waiting at the border, and, and they were they were having this huge argument. And we were like, and the guy, the Indian guy, said, "Oh." Just go, go, get out, get out of here, go. And so we cycled into India with no visas. So by the time I got to Moscow, all this stuff had happened. So uh-huh. when I just, when I got off the plane accidentally and was talking to some girl who had all the invitations and was, she was an American and had everything, I just had my backpack. When I wound up in the, um, in the visa office, I changed my ticket and they said, yeah, do you have a hotel? And I said, yeah. And they didn't ask anything. And so I was like, okay, another adventure. You know, not even thinking like, I'm in the Soviet, I just snuck into the Soviet Union. But my whole thing with the cycling and everything, the way I found the bicycle, the way I found people was synchronicity. The, yeah. the, 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 the name of my book is Cycles of a Traveler, True Tales of Voyage, Discovery, and Synchronicity. Because that's mm-hmm. what, those, what those 14 years were about. My book is about my my four years of motorcycle travel on top of my nine, nearly 10 years on, on the bicycle, traveling the mm. world, meeting the right people at the right time. Yeah, you were very open to receiving everything that was coming your way. Totally, totally. So after Moscow, did you make your way back to the US to see if you would be able to fit in, right? Because that is a big, you had transformed, you were something different. I was something different and I was still the same. I, you know, I, I, when I finally, I, so I walked and hitchhiked through, through, uh, through Europe. I made, I made it back to America right at the beginning of, um, the Iraq war number one. So my headspace is so different, you know, and, and the, you know, the American headspace is so different that I, you know, after my traveling, being exposed to different news, it was really difficult to come into October, 1990, to a country that was really gearing up for a war. And so I, I actually um, was waiting for my bicycle to arrive from uh, from India, which it hadn't arrived yet. So I got my old 10-speed out of the um, 
out of the, the mothballs, and I planned to ride a bicycle from New York to Washington, D.C., DC in protest of the war um, the week before Christmas. And then my bike arrived. So I put it together and I did it on my old bike that I traveled through Asia with. And I, I, had, I had no plans for hotels, no plan. I just wanted to speak to people on the street, see what they were feeling about the war and see what, what the universe would give me. I stayed in halfway houses. I stayed in um, building sites. Guys were interested in what I was doing. I stayed in this one guy who owned an office building who was totally against you know, my point of view of, of the war and maybe why we shouldn't be in it. He, he, we totally, we met and he, he was like, he said, look, I don't agree at all. And I did a lot of research and I was talking about it. He goes, I don't agree with you. Do, I don't agree with your point of view, but I love that you're putting yourself out there and what you're doing on your bicycle. So here's the keys to an empty office I have in my office building, stay there tonight. And that's how that whole trip unfolded. And I made it to DC to the wall where I had a couple of friends names on there. And, um, uh, the bracelets. I don't know if you remember the bracelets you used to wear. In I do. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Sergeant do. Robert, yeah. Sergeant Robert Gage. I remember him, and, and I he was the MIA, and I went and I saw his name on the wall, and uh, and I took the train back, and I walked into a local bike shop and said, you know, I've never worked in a bike shop before, but I think I might like this because the, the whole war thing was really getting to me. My mom said, Joe, you're getting really crazy. People can't even talk to you. This whole anti-war thing and. You know, I was finding my fears like yeah, I was trying to fit in back to being a New Yorker, back to being an American, back to being me, but with all this other new me, you know. And so it was really, really like a tough time. And my, my mom said, you sh- maybe you should chill out. And I uh, I was working. I was doing a little canvassing for Greenpeace. And I did. I took her words and I just went to a local bike shop and I was like, hey, I fixed my bikes in jungles in Indonesia and everywhere else. I never worked in a bike shop, but I think I'm a pretty good bike mechanic. And I launched a, a career in working in a bike shop in the New York area and then traveling. So I would work for a year, disappear for two years, come back, work for a year, disappear for a year and a half. And then um, and that was my life until I uh, cycled into the highlands of Tibet and ran into an English woman who was bored out of her wits with her friends on 30 hour bus rides and had passed me and this guy that I had met in Hong Kong and cycled up to the highlands of Tibet in 1996, this is. And I just said, uh, well, why don't you come with me? My friend's going back to Canada. I'm heading into Tibet alone. And she said, well, I don't have a bike and I have never done long distance cycling. <laughs> I said, we're in China. You can find the bike. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I talked her into leaving her friends, buying the bike. And 25 years and two kids later, we're still riding. Wow. 25 years and two kids later. Wow. That is a great conclusion to that part of the story. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by BikeFlights.com, the leading bicycle shipping service and bike box supplier for cyclists. You'll enjoy low costs, excellent service, and on-time delivery with every shipment. And you get preferred handling for your high-value bikes, wheels, and gear. As a brand built around a love for the outdoors, they are committed to reducing environmental impact, and every bike flight's shipment is carbon neutral. Join the nearly 1 million cyclists who have used bike flights to ship their bikes, wheels, and gear with confidence since 2009 and see how easy it is to book, manage, and track all of your shipments. Visit bikeflights.com forward slash warm showers today for more information and to book your shipment. 
Now back to the show. So you married her. She stayed on the bike with you. Stayed on the bike. And we, we lived all over Europe. We lived in France, three different places in France. We lived in Ireland. And uh, I opened a bicycle shop in this small village in Ireland. We were part of this echo village. And after a couple of years, we realized we didn't want to be so far out of, away from the rest of Europe. And the Echo Village project was having a few, you know, a few difficulties because it was it was a new thing. And most of the people were Irish and had other family in Ireland. We didn't. So we decided to move back to France. And just, again, synchronicity, we just happened to find this village through a friend of a friend in Ireland who said, oh, don't go back to Brittany because we lived in Brittany for a few years. Um and she said, oh, don't go to Brittany. You know, my friend lives in this really cool village in the south of France. And we were like, oh, OK. And we just moved down to this village for six months house sitting. And um, 15 years later, it's it's been home where we raised our kids and and everything. I love it. And tell us. So tell us about your kids. Have they ever done a like a cycling tour with you? And, and what do they do with cycling now? OK, well. Louis came into our lives when Angie and I, you know, because we were doing these long distance, you know, with visas were very hard at the time. So Angie would come to New York for six months and I'd go to England mm. for six months after the bike season. So we decided, let's take a tour together. So we did a tour in Europe and that was in uh, 99, 2000 and uh, 99. And she became pregnant with Louis. So our son was uh, not conceived literally on the bicycle, but definitely on the bicycle trip. Mm-hmm. And um and so we would, we went back to England and we and we uh, Louis was born there and one of Angie's friends had a house in the Loire Valley France and we were looking for these really you know like not such interesting jobs I was and her friend said oh Joe you're like a traveler you've traveled the world you're a nomad you want to work for the post office you know it's like mm-hmm. well not I said well not really she goes look I have a, I have a house in the Loire Valley why don't you house it it painted help help us sell it so Louis literally eight weeks old. In the bike trailer, we moved down to an unknown village in France, two bicycles, newborn, uh, and he lived in a bike trailer. We lived on our bicycles in this small village, and that's where he had spent his first year of life. Wow. And then his second year of life, I had a friend who owned a big shop in uh, New York, and he called me and said, Joe, we need someone to help run the bike shop. I remember you ran the bike shop, the first bike shop I walked into. They knew me from there. My reputation was pretty good because people, I had a reputation as being a touring cyclist. I knew my stuff. And um, they asked me to come to New York to help them run this big shop. And we negotiated a few times. I was like, no way. I just been living in France, raising my son. And I'm not going to go work six days a week in a bike shop. Anyway, we negotiated this great deal three days a week, plus housing included. And I was like, Angie, we got the offer. We can't refuse. We got to go. We got to go. So you're in New York and uh, still with the bicycles. And we had bought a house in Brittany and wound up staying there for three and a half years uh, where our daughter was born and our son was just, he, he, he rode a bike better than he could walk. He started riding a two-wheeler at two years old. Wow. Yeah, because we did that. I used to take pedals. This is back in the ninth, in 2000. I used to take pedals off of small bikes. Now it's, now it's become a craze, you know, the, the pedalless bike and everything. But I was doing that back in 98, 99, 2000 to customers. And then when my son was born, it was the obvious thing to do. Just took pedals off a 12-inch bike. And within a couple of months, he had balance. He was riding a bike and... Um, yeah, he, he just, the bike shop that I did work for in 2001, 
uh, sent us a bike because they heard Louis was riding and kind of started sponsoring him then. And he actually raced for them. And when he, in 2015, they sponsored him across America doing mountain bike racing. And he's, his life is bicycles, bike races. He works in a bike shop in France, oddly enough, called Joe Bike. And oh my goodness, seriously? <laughs> nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. Wow. What an interesting story. Okay. So when did you decide to write a book? So our daughter came, we moved to Ireland, we moved, and then we found this part of France. And so now we have son and a daughter raising them on bicycles, bicycle trailers, doing trips on tandems and just, just living with bikes. I love it. I love and it. My, and my mom always supported me through, you know, mm-hmm. I told you my dad died when I was 17. My mom all when I started traveling on the motorcycle, she never gave me, I'm Italian American. She never gave me the Italian guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, go Joe, go look, I'm, I'm 50 something. You want to travel? You've graduated university. Do what you got to do. So when it was coming up to her 80th birthday, when we moved to this part of France and I had just sold the bike, bike shop, I owned an Island, sold half a house we owned. So we had a little bit of money there. It's scrimped and saved to have. And I said, Angie, you know what? I'm going to write my mom a thank you note because she always said I should write a book. And I always used to say, oh, mom, I'm just doing it. I don't need to write a book. But I'm going to write her, get all my journals and just say, hey, thanks, mom. Here's what that non-guilt led me to do. Because mm. it's always hard to explain your trips to people. Like that. Wait, just let me just clarify. You just said that non-guilt. So you had you had significant support. But to say it like that, like non-guilt, that's a, a really beautiful way to express it. Yeah. Yeah. Because that gave me, it was such a lesson in, in freedom because I would come home from these three and a half, a three and a half year journey. And, and in that journey, my mom said, you know what, Joe, I'm going to have a son who's traveling the world. I'm going to meet you. So she met me in Japan. She wow. met me in Australia and she would take, yeah. And she would take different family members because we were just from the Bronx, you know, working class. She was never, didn't have the money to go to these places. But I was like, mm-hmm. mom, just get the plane ticket and we'll be creative. You know, rented, used cars. I would stay, I would make friends. We'd stay in their house. And I say, look, give my mom your bed and I'll sleep on the floor. And they were like, yeah, yeah, cool. And so like, I, and she came with my dad's sister to Japan, one of her sisters and my nephew to Australia. My sister started meeting me in Greece. So we, my mom saw the world. And so I wanted to just repay her and say, wow, here I am, the world traveler, thanks to my mom, not feeling this guilt. And she saw the world and family members saw the world. I love it. it. It was just so amazing. So you sent her the journals? So no, I wrote a book. I got all, I went back to New York. I got all, I had two years to, to her 80th birthday and I started writing and I got all my journals. It was going to be a whole bunch of short stories. And then I tied them in together and I just, uh, so I included everything the motorcycle journeys, even like the work I did in between. I was a school teacher uh, in in the Bronx. So that's a chapter of the book. And so it's like it's a a travel book with a a very, very different take. It's not like, oh, I went here, I went here. It was the spiritual Mm -hmm. journey. It was like my Mm -hmm. hero's journey as some people has compared compared my book to. I was just thinking that it was a hero's journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was the hero's journey. Boy, you know, well, boy, you know, young man, 21 years old. I want to go across America on a motorcycle. 
to five years later, there I was in, in the middle of Indonesia with my friend, you know, sneaking over borders and going, whoa, how did this happen? And then, uh, and then you know, meeting my wife in Tibet, moving to France with my kids and bicycles. Yeah, all just started from that, that first motorcycle journey. And just I followed my heart, followed the universe. I started finding these synchronicities. I could sit here for about three and a half hours, <laughs> probably <laughs> tell you stories of the synchronous moments. On, on my journeys that, you know, blew me. When I was writing them in the book, I had to say to Angie, Ange, I only, I remember it happening and I see it's written in my journal, but I, I just, I, I just can't believe that that really happened. Yeah. You know? yeah. 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 Life, life, life can be like that when you're open, like you are. And it, it can feel like it's unbelievable because it's really magical. It's actually magical. And we're not taught, like in our regular school systems, especially in the United States, to believe in the possibilities of anything being possible if you're open yourself up, right? To the synchronicities, to what the universe is giving you, to the magic of life. Like we're not taught that. And you were just so open to it. And the way that that impacted your entire family, what a beautiful experience. And we're going to put the link to your book in the show notes as well. So anybody that wants to read your story can find it as well as any of your social media handles. But Joe, this is, <laughs> wow. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't get over the, the, the Soviet Union story. That, that was, that's crazy. It, it, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Meeting your wife in, in Tibet the way that you did. I mean, that's, that's yeah. so funny. I can only imagine, right. The reverberations that happen when you live life the way that you have and that your wife has with you, right. Your friends, your family, so many people are impacted by a choice of a single human because you're, you're like expanding people's mind at what's possible. That's, that's what you did. And not to mention the amount of people that you met along the way that I'm sure you had a great impact on as well, because you're a part of their journey as much as they're a part of yours. Exactly. And that's right. The journey just goes both ways. Like, you know, mm -hmm. conversations, I would have with people when I was younger would change my life. And I've had many conversations with people now or people who've read my book who, who have quit their jobs and taken off on bicycle journeys because they were working in a the job they didn't really like. They read my book and they said, oh, I could do that and, mm -hmm. and, and did it. And, and both of my kids. So my, my mother, my life, our life together, my wife obviously impacted ourselves in the way we raised our children because we you know, we moved to France to this village where we knew no one on two with two bicycles and a bike trailer with an eight week old. And everyone was like, you can't do that. And we were like, well, we're gonna, you know, and we did. Mm -hmm. So when my kids, you know, coming through the French education system, at one point, my daughter was like, dad, my friends in school asked me what I am because I have an English mother and American dad, but I've grown up in France and I'm not French, obviously, to them because we don't eat the same food, but I've never lived in America and Never lived in England. So I said, Chessie, you're just a world citizen. Don't worry oh, about it. I love that. I love that. Wow. How old is she now? She's 18. My yes. son's 22. And they both work in Joe Bike. She's a keen mountain biker. <laughs> Joe <She's> Bike. <laughs> crazy, crazy. They it's both really crazy. School. Yeah, they both stopped school. They wanted to stop school after what's called the college here, which mm -hmm. would be like almost the equivalent of high school, but not quite actually. Mm -hmm. But the way it breaks up, not many people do that here because France is very into their papers and make sure you have the right paper for the right job. But again, the way I lived my life, the way Angie and I lived our lives, I had no, when my kids were like that, the, the French education system is just boring the heck out of me. And, you know, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I do videos and I, uh, my daughter's written two books as well. I'm like, well, chess, chess, Louis, no problem. 
do what you're going to yeah. do. You can always go I back to it. school. You can mm-hmm. go back to school whenever you want, you know, and everyone's <laughs> freaking out. You're, still, you're letting your kids stop school at that age. I'm like, they speak two languages. They live the full life. They have all these things. Yeah. If they want to go back to school, well, they could do it. And, and they're both working. They have money in their pockets. They, they're not in debt. They don't even know what debt is. I don't know what debt is. I never had it in my life. I've, I've skipped that part of life. And, um, and I just said, kids, just be happy. Be, be follow your heart. You'll never get lost. And, and that's all. What could I say? Yo. That is, that is a beautiful ending. Follow your heart and you'll never get lost. Yeah. Follow your heart and you'll never get lost. Joe, this has been amazing. I mean, the time goes by so fast. I could sit and listen to you all day. I I just want to express my gratitude for the change that you've made for so many people and with your family and within communities. Thank you. And thank you for being willing to come on the show and share your story. You are quite an inspiration. And thank you. I mean, and for working for Warm Showers, which is great. I'm a host and and I I I, I love what Warm Showers does because, you know, when I, I just knocked on doors, but this makes it a little easier uh, mm-hmm. to uh, for, for young people out there who are used to technology, whereas, um, you know, they might find it hard to knock on doors, but it's a great mm-hmm. organization. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. And, and for those of you listening, if you want to find out how to get in touch with Joe, we will link all of the links, all the things in the show notes, as we usually do. And as we say goodbye to Joe, don't forget to give us a rating and review on any platform that you listen to the show so it can put us in front of more people that might like to learn more about this passion for cycling and hosting. So thank you for listening and we'll be back. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Wherever you are listening, please leave us a rating and a review as it helps us reach more cyclists and hosts around the world. Visit us at warmshowers.org to become a part of our community or on Instagram at warmshowers underscore org. If you would like to be a guest on the show or submit a question, please make sure to email us at podcast at warmshowers.org.